0: The day was March 19th, 2011. I was 12 years old at the time in suburban Lafayette, Louisiana. My life revolved around two things, playing baseball and hanging out with my friends. It was a beautiful spring afternoon. The sun was out, parents were doing yard work, and children were playing with one another. I was one of those kids playing baseball with my friends and having a carefree Saturday afternoon. Since my friends lived down the street from me, We would go back and forth from each other's houses riding a go-kart that my friend's dad had made. It was a one-seat go-kart, so in order for more than one person to ride it, one person would drive and the other would hang off the back of the go-kart. Because the distance was so short, our parents allowed us to do this as long as we were being careful and we did not drive too fast. While I was practicing my pitching and fielding ground balls for the upcoming baseball season, my dad texted me and told me to come home for lunch. After a quick lunch from Sonic, my friend Jacob came to my house to bring me back to my friend's Joe and John's house to continue playing baseball. I hopped on the back of the go-kart, as I've done a million times before, and as we approached the intersection where Joe and John's house was, I was thrown off the go-kart after a sharp turn, which caused my head to whiplash on the asphalt, leaving my body sprawled on the concrete, unconscious. Neighbors rushed to the scene of the accident to see if I was okay. Gail Rodrigue, the owner of the house closest to the scene of the accident, recounts that experience.
1: The boys were outside playing, and I had gone to Walmart, and I was checking out. I think it was lane number 16 because whenever I sometimes I still think about that. So as I was getting ready to write a check, my phone rang, and it was my son Joseph, who was my older son, and he said, "There's been an accident, and Trey was hurt." And I immediately, I almost passed out. I mean, my knees went weak. I like kind of fell to the ground. And so I'm getting chills thinking about it right now because I still remember that vividly. And so I paid with the check, and I got home, and there were policemen here, and my husband, and everyone was being interviewed, and that was just the beginning of a really horrible, horrible story.
0: Another one of those neighbors was Paula Simon, a nurse anesthetist who took care of me until the ambulance arrived. I was
1: actually inside. And, uh, a couple of kids and another one of our neighbors, Mark came running down and knocked on the door. And it was like a very panicked knock. And I opened the door and he said, Hey, we need you to come down the street. Somebody fell and had an accident off of a go-kart. And so I said, okay. And at first I thought, you know, somebody scraped their knee or whatnot. And then, uh, when I actually got outside, it was the way to the corner so that's probably seven or eight houses down um but i could see you laying on the ground and uh i guess one of the other parents was trying to get you i could hear him he kept saying get up get up and uh in the process of you really not moving so much uh it just made me nervous because i didn't know if you had maybe some type of a neck injury or whatever so i just remember screaming from six houses down please don't move him stop moving him don't make him get up And then by the time that I finally got there, you at that point were awake. Uh, You were dazed, um, but awake. And you could answer some of my questions, but not all of them.
0: While Paula was checking my vital signs and holding my head in place, neighbors called the ambulance. While all of this was happening, Jacob ran down the street to tell my dad what had happened. Running out the door and coming to the intersection where I was, my dad pushed through the people surrounding me and stayed with Paula and me to wait on the ambulance to arrive.
2: I was watching television, and one of the kids come banging frantically at the door, uh, saying that you had been in an accident on a go-kart. And so I immediately, you know, opened the door, ran down the street, and you were about a block away. Uh, When I arrived there, you were laying on the ground and you were crying, uh, and one of the neighbors was there, was holding your neck, uh, Miss Paula, uh, because she didn't know what had happened, so she was stabilizing your neck and you were just just crying, saying that your head hurt real bad. They had already called the ambulance at that point, Um, so we kind of kept you there, kept you quiet, kept you calm.
0: Once the ambulance arrived, I was loaded in and, accompanied by my dad, rushed to the emergency room at Lafayette General Medical Center. Once I entered the ambulance, my brain was just beginning to fully register the trauma that it underwent, causing my body to undergo extreme amounts of pain and sending me in and out of consciousness.
2: When the ambulance arrived, they, you know, made sure to stabilize your neck because at that point they didn't know what was going on. Um, And got you into the ambulance and we started heading to the hospital. Uh, Initially, I thought, okay, it's just a a concussion. You know, they'll check you out. It'll be, you know, fairly okay. We'll keep an eye on you. And then I remember probably about five minutes into the ambulance ride, um, you started going in and out of consciousness. We were kind of trying to talk to you, keep you awake, and you were saying your head was hurting, and then you you kind of kind of would check out and lose consciousness for a little bit, and then uh, right after that, you you threw up. Well, because they had you immobilized, couldn't turn to the side, so you, you kind of threw up on yourself laying on your back, and you kind of aspirated, so um, I immediately kind of flipped you to the side so we could kind of clear out your mouth, uh, and then we watched you there, and... It was at that point that I realized that we were probably dealing with more than just a concussion.
0: As we arrived at the hospital, medical personnel would not allow my dad to go any further with me due to him having the chicken pox at the time.
2: At that point when we were rolling into the ICU that I stopped at the doors and said, I have chicken pox, and they said, you can't come in here. So um, that was the start where I couldn't see you. So that was, they allowed me to stay in the, uh, the family waiting room for the ICU because there was no other families right there. Uh, and I knew I was contagious and I knew at some point in time I was going to have to leave, but at this point in time, we didn't know what was going on with you. We didn't know how serious things were. So, um, I spent the night in that little waiting room, uh, with mom and a few other people, uh, just kind of waiting for the doctors to assess you and, and see what was going on. Then the next morning they admitted another child into the ICU with other families. So at that point I had to
0: leave. From the ambulance, I was rushed into the hospital and brought straight to the emergency room. I was immediately given a CAT scan in order to determine the damage from the accident. The CAT scan determined that I had fractured my skull on the lower right side. I had a pulmonary contusion, also known as a bruised lung, and my brain was swelling at a rapid rate. So immediately after the CAT scan, the doctors placed me in a medically induced coma to reduce my brain activity to prevent my brain from swelling at such a rapid rate. This prevented my brain from swelling to the point where it would put pressure on my spinal cord, which would be fatal.
2: Um, you know, I, I knew that sometimes family could get in the way. Um, but it was at that moment that I realized that I had no control over the situation. And, and with my job and, and what I had done, um, you know, we always had that sense of we had to be in charge. We had to be in control. You know, we we were taking care of those people. So here I was, somebody who did this on a daily basis, you know, with patients in the hospital. And now I have my own child that I can't even be at his side. I had no control over what was going on with you. I couldn't be there. So it was a very uh, scary and isolated moment because not only did I realize I wasn't in control, um, uh, I also realized that I couldn't even be there to enact change, to see what was going on, even to observe. And that was a very very gut-wrenching, um, an eye-opening feeling um, to realize that you have absolutely no control over something. And being your children, it's the most important thing in your life. So you have absolutely no control over the most important thing in your life. And that was that was very, very disheartening. Um, another thing, too, was I recall is as much as I wanted to break down and cry and just, just feel like, oh, I just felt helpless – was that everybody was turning to me and looking to me, mom, other family members. So I kind of felt like I had to be stoic and strong for them. So on the inside, I was dying. And on the outside, I was trying to maintain a sense of, okay, everything's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. You know, things are going to happen. We'll, we'll do that. But on the inside, I was terrified, you know, and um, it was uh, probably the worst experience of my life.
0: While I was in my coma, The doctors concluded that in order for me to survive, I would have to undergo a bilateral craniotomy and a bilateral cranioplasty, which are two high risk brain surgeries. On that Wednesday, my first surgery was scheduled to take place. We'll continue this story next time. Tune in next time to hear this and more on The Ride of My Life.